we pitch ourselves towards our highest goal, our highest aspiration. And that actually is a reasonably accurate reading for what it is in the Arthurian legend too, because it's a couple of things actually, but I'll start with the most conventional thing. It's a chalice, a cup. And that Christ used at the Last Supper? Exactly. Mm. And that apparently Joseph of Arimathea stood under the cross as Jesus was pierced in the side with the lance and the blood poured into the cup, becoming a special relic, sacred relic, of Jesus himself. Of course, there's a little bit more going on in the Grail than just the Christian symbolism because the Arthurian legend's got a sort of strong pre-Christian element as well. I think we might have mentioned Merlin being a bit druidy and mm. that sort of thing. And there's a Celtic notion of a cauldron of rebirth that you find in some myths as well. And the Holy Grail becomes like that because if you remember, what causes the knights to go off and seek it is that the kingdom is failing. Guinevere and Lancelot are committing adultery. There is sin, rife. There are struggles between brothers and eventually everything's going to pot. And they're told, more or less in a prophecy, the answer is to seek the grail. So how then um, does it become the particular knight Galahad that is so, and, and I think Percival, so associated with the Holy yeah. Grail? You've hit on something important there. It starts off, the story is Percival's story. Galahad doesn't even really exist. The first version of it's written in the 12th century, we think. Um, there is a French version by Chrétien de Troyes, which is called Le Comte du Grail, the Knight of the Grail, and his hero is Percival. And similarly, there's a Welsh version where the character's called Peridur, but we think it's pretty much the same as Percival. Certainly the story's got the same kind of plot. And he's a sort of bumbling innocent. His mum brings him up. She doesn't want him to be a knight because his father was killed in war. And she brings him up. He doesn't understand that men exist or that the military exists or anything. And then one day he has a... It's like a vision. He's on the road and he sees some knights riding by and he says, Mum, Mum, what are they? And of course she tries to put him off, but eventually he discovers that they're knights and he says, that's what I shall be. And he sets off on a quest. And this means he can achieve the grail because he's innocent. He has encounters later on with people. He learns about wickedness and he learns about corruption and he learns about sex, especially in the seductive women that are always sort of flitting around through the Arthurian legend. But he retains his kind of virtue and his innocence because of this special upbringing that he's had. But then Galahad gets to take the hero's role by the time we get to the 15th century and Mallory, which is the, the La Morte d'Arthur, the death of Arthur, which is probably the version of the legends that most English-speaking people know best. And uh, he's the son of Lancelot. Lancelot can't achieve the grail himself, that's obvious, mm -hmm. because he's a sinner. An, An adulterer. adulterer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so no grail for Lancelot. He's sacrificed holiness for, for pleasure in this world. But Galahad, the son of that unfortunate woman, Elaine, the maid of Astolat, who slept with Lancelot after she'd been enchanted into the form of Guinevere, so he thought she was Guinevere because he's very faithful to the Queen, and then when he discovered he was deceived, he just said to her, look, sorry, <laughs> you won't do. And so she has a child alone and Ill illegitimate and, and in disgrace. Galahad. And that's Galahad. And then she dies, of course. And there's a couple of different versions of the of the story of the conception of Galahad. But he grows up the, the par perfectly pure knight. And when he comes to the round table, there's the one seat 
you know, by this one called the Siege Perilous, and it says, don't sit on this unless you're quite sure that you're without sin, basically. And so nobody ever has, and it's kind of described in some versions of the legend as being fiery and perilous. Gosh, I can't believe how much sin is involved in all. <laughs> There's a great deal of sin involved in all of medieval <laughs> literature, actually. So what does, the, the, what does the story represent then? I mean, why did we tell it and why, why all this sin and, and uh, you know, the search for holiness and all that sort of thing? Well, perhaps the Christian framework doesn't sort of ring so powerfully for people anymore nowadays, but the framework of people who are dedicated to a quest, to seeking something that is vital, um, particularly in the context of the Braille legend, for the regeneration of society, for, for everything. You know, this is where the sort of Celtic notion of the cauldron of rebirth comes in. For us, a grail, something that we can focus our aspirations on, is very important. But I think actually one of the reasons why it's still popular is the f um, psychological theories of Carl Gustav Jung, I don't know if you're kind of keen on Jungian psychology. How did he get into this? Well, he got into <laughs> it because, you know, he wrote this great book called Man and His Symbols. Bit of a sexist title, but that's okay. He had this idea that we all have these things called archetypes somewhere buried in our minds that, that ring bells, like, for everybody. In, and it's like fairy tale plots are all the same and opera plots is sort of tend to have kind of formula. But it's a formula that nonetheless it pushes our buttons, it pulls our strings, we respond. And he saw the sort of seeking that happens in the Grail stories, what he, he mostly refers to under as a category of hero myths, as being the struggle of every individual to achieve their full selfhood. And so when they think about the journey that the hero makes and all of the difficulties that he manages to combat and overcome, what they're really responding to, what we're responding to, what our buttons are being pushed about, is our own struggle to become ourselves. Are we, are we done yet with Arthur? I've I don't not. think so. <laughs> no, when you consider all those movies, Borman's Excalibur. And no, I meant you and me. Oh, what, you and oh, What well, shall we talk I about I think next? we should do romantic love and look at the women oh, in the Arthurian legend. I'll look I forward to that. Thank yeah. you very much, Carol Cusack. Okay, Liz, bye. Carol Cusack is a history lecturer at Sydney Uni. And uh, from the past to the present and even the future, Larry Zion is our guide for both the World Wide Web and the latest videos. And he's along in a moment. Hey.